0: Hello, Uh, welcome to Remember the Film, uh, the podcast where we talk about about movies and all the things that makes them memorable. Uh, This week we had a little schedule change because Josh, as you can see if you're watching the video version, couldn't make it this week, so we decided to postpone our discussion of Denis Villeneuve to next week, and instead we have our first guest on the show, Jackson Wells, uh, our friend from the Cantina Conversations podcast and all-around Canadian bad boy. jackson how are you doing
1: i'm doing i'm doing great it's it's my pleasure to be here i didn't realize i was first so now i'm a little uh Flusted. flushed but it's okay
2: uh, this is you're our first oh i mean you didn't realize you were our first guest or okay i thought you were saying you didn't realize you were gonna be yes. introduced first i was like well, i don't know why that would throw you off you no knew, no no no, no. you no. knew you were on the show
0: <laughs> yeah so jackson <laughs> is no, our first guest um and we decided to take this chance because, uh, as as we've talked about before, me and jo- me and, and Grizz are a bit more uh, anime fans than, uh, than Josh is. We did an episode on, on our intro to anime thing and we thought, oh, well, Josh isn't here so we might as well do another anime podcast. <laughs> so we decided to talk about uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, obviously, you know, he doesn't need any introduction. Um, the co-founder of Studio G- Ghibli and I think, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but he's probably the most well-known animated director of all time, um, unless yeah. you want to consider Walt Disney.
2: Well, yeah, so obviously Walt Disney would be better known than Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah. But the, the point is that he's in that window, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, which says a lot.
0: <laughs> and considering, you know, he, he, he is still, you know... It, anime is huge but it, it it hasn't still reached you know the heights of, of western animation in terms of popularity i think
2: but it's so the fact that he's so well known it's continuously growing it is,
0: it is. which is incredible but the fact that he's so well known i think is is a testament to his, that, that how how much his worked has you know impacted uh, both mm-hmm. just uh, japanese culture and and western culture as well um okay so uh, to just to introduce the episode, we're just going to talk a, a bit about Hayao Miyazaki in general, uh, our thoughts on all of his movies and uh, his work in Studio Ghibli and before. And, but also, maybe we'll talk about also what the movie that he's about to do next and, and you know give our thoughts on that as well. Um, and also then, we are going to do our film to remember for this week, which is going to be The Wind Rises, which is uh, the last film that he ever did, uh, at least for now. Um, okay, so... Uh, I don't know where you guys want to start. Uh, I guess I could just give out a few interesting facts about Miyazaki. Yeah, I mean, it is possible that there are people who don't don't know who he is. Yeah. So, so go for it. <laughs> if you don't if you don't know who Miyazaki is, he's the co founder of Studio uh, Ghibli, Ghibli, whatever you want to call it, uh, which was founded in 1985, um, and I think you know it's one one of the high high I don't know most highly regarded animation studios in the world. I think them and Pixar are pretty much neck and neck as, as the ones that people uh, sort of think about in those terms. Um, he uh, directed 11 animated feature films, uh, nine of which with Juju Ghibli and two before, and five of which are among the top 25 highest-grossing movies in Japan, which is I thought was quite interesting. Um, right? Five of his movies are in the top 25. That's pretty impressive. Pretty insane. Um <laughs>
2: Shows yeah. how much more they he, appreciate animation than the U.S. appreciates animation. Yeah,
0: yeah. Although, I'm pretty sure there's there's some animated movies uh, that are in, in the top like, 10, 15 in the U.S. as well, right? Films like probably. Frozen and stuff like that, I think, are pretty high.
2: We could probably find that out. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm
0: not sure. But regardless, uh, he did these 11 animated films. He is currently 80 years old. Uh, but uh, he already retired twice and then decided to come out <laughs> of retirement again now. And he's currently working on, on the next film, which I don't know, I think presumably would be his last one. Because yeah. all of his movies take a long time to produce because they're all, you know, hand animated. He does all the storyboards and everything. Um, and he's so, elderly. so yeah. yeah. And and he is 80 years old. He He's very, if you see interviews of him, he's a very active eight-year-old. Uh, his mind is really... Uh, active, he keeps his body active as well. He does a lot of exercise, but still, he is eighty years old. So it, mm-hmm. you could understand how it would take him a long time. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard about this film. It's called How Do You Live? His next movie, yeah. um, and it's based on a, on, a, on a Japanese novel. And, and there isn't much information about it, but uh, the latest news on it was that uh, Toshio Suzuki, which is uh, who is the like long t- co-founder and longtime producer of Studio Ghibli films has said in December 2020 that the film that, that they were hoping to finish the film within the next 3 years. So presumably we'll see it by 2023. <laughs> we'll uh, see. We just we'll got to make it there. Yeah, let's hope let's hope he makes it there and 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 we get another great film from him because I'm looking forward to this. The, the title sounds intriguing. I'm not sure what you
2: guys think. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it sounds yeah. like an interesting title and it's a it has a very Studio Ghibli quality just in the title alone which uh mm-hmm. but frankly it, they he, they can release any movie and I will watch it even even week and the bri- <laughs> and the thing yeah <laughs> mm.
0: yeah we mentioned that before um,
1: yeah. I'll, I'm I'm just waiting with bated breath for this one uh but no expectations cuz I feel like it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while
0: yeah it's it's going to take a, at least I would say at least 2 or 3 years optimistically mm-hmm. But we'll see, we'll see. Um, okay, so having done that, uh, I'd like to just uh, ask you guys what are your basic thoughts about uh, Miyazaki in general. So when did you first encounter his films? Uh, what what was the film that you know made you become a fan? Um, and you know, what, we 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 could also list our individual top fives uh, just to give each other an idea of what our favorites are and see if we agree. Uh, so uh, Jackson, let's start with you.
1: Yeah, um I had I I had an intro interesting introduction to Miyazaki. I think the first movie his I saw I would have been I I got Spirited Away on Blu-ray for Christmas like 3 or 4 years ago now. Um and I watched it and I was like, nice. That's a good movie. And then um when I went to university uh for whatever reason all the uh, like, theatres around where I lived there, st- or I continue to live, started doing these, like, Miyazaki, like, movie nights. So I would just, like, go and see his movies for the first time in the theatres. And honestly... Oh,
0: that, that sounds amazing.
1: It's, yeah, it's been a really... It was really interesting kind of, like opportunity. So I saw Princess Mononoke for the first time in theatres, Ponyo, and Howl's Moving Castle I saw um, over the course of, like, maybe a year, a couple of years ago in theatres. And then... When quarantine started up, all the Ghibli films got added to Netflix, and I was like, well, well what else am I going to do? So I watched through the rest of them. Oh, and I'd also seen uh, Castle of Cagliostra. I can never remember what the castle's called. Mm-hmm. Um, has just been on Netflix for, like, years um, for whatever reason. So I'd seen that one before I'd seen any of the other ones in theaters. Yeah, so I, I it's it's been pretty sweet. I was lucky enough to kind of, like, see like some of his really finest works like in theaters for the first time. Um, and that's been, that was really exciting. And then I was able to watch kind of the rest uh, over the course of last year. I'm actually almost done. I, I've been slowly going through like the non Miyazaki Ghibli works. I only have to watch from up on Poppy Hill and then whatever is left, but I've seen all the non Miyazaki Ghibli works as well. And then would you like to hear my top five or do we, do we want to wait? I would love uh, to hear l- your top let's five.
0: Let's do that. Or do you want to wait do it now? Yeah, sure. You can do it now. Do it That's, now.
1: Yeah, I'll hit you with it. Um, so I'm going to throw a curveball here. Um, my number five is The Wind Rises, um, which is a film we'll talk about. My number four is Whisper of the Heart, which is technically not a Miyazaki movie, but he did write it. And I think it's incredible. So um, I put it as top four. Uh, and then Princess Mononoke, uh, Lupin, Castle of Cagliostro. It's, that one just hits different for me. And then Kiki's Delivery Service is my number one.
2: Awesome. yeah which i i Very I've, I've talked Very to jackson before a little bit about kiki's we you know i don't it's not like i dislike it or anything but we definitely we def, mm-hmm. i definitely don't see what he sees in it which fascinates me
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll say I'll, I'll put it this way i own maybe maybe a dozen movies physically kiki and lupin are two that are two of those so that <laughs> could put things into perspective of how much i like those movies
2: they're really
0: good mm-hmm so, awesome. yeah, that's me Okay. What about you, Grace?
2: Because uh, we're saying
0: Grace in this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so, when did I first encounter him? Uh, I think I, I mentioned it when we were talking about anime that uh, the first time I distinctly remember seeing a St- Studio Ghibli movie was Spirited Away. I was in high school on a marching band trip to a, you know, for a competition or something, and on the bus ride there, the one of the band directors put Spirited Away on. And I was like, "What is this? This this is dumb. <laughs> I've never heard of this. This you know, I was a stupid kid. Uh, and then I watched it like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> I was like I, I'm an idiot. I, I why haven't I given this a chance before? And it wasn't like I was opposed to anime because I watched Dragon Ball Z and I watched Gundam Wing, you know, and stuff like that. So it was I just thought Spirited Away looked like a dumb kids movie. Mm. I was <laughs> super wrong." <laughs> But that was when I first got introduced to Studio Ghibli. Uh and as far as how familiar I am with you know other Studio Ghibli films, I've seen everything that Studio Ghibli has released. Uh and I have definitely not seen everything that Hayao Miyazaki has directed. He has he has other things yeah. that he has directed outside of Studio Ghibli, but I've seen everything that Studio Ghibli has done. Uh and I'm a fan of most of it. Uh you know, there's some, mm-hmm. there some that I there's some that I just kind of, I just kind of like, but I don't love. And then there's, you know, one mm-hmm. that I just don't like. <laughs> I would agree. I would say,
1: I would say Miyazaki has no misses, in my opinion.
2: I, 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 I yeah, I'd have to go through the list. I don't really think there's anything that he's full on missed.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. No. Uh, like, lowest on my list is Ponyo, but I still think that movie's really sweet and and Ponyo loves
2: so. ham. Ponyo yep. loves ham. <laughs> I, had <to> res- <laughs> I had to resist saying it earlier when someone said Ponyo. <laughs> but yeah. It's, it's still, you know, it's still lovely, lovely. So stuff. like, just to put it in perspective, the lowest mm-hmm. uh, score that I have for Studio Ghibli on my letterbox reviews is two stars, uh, which is no not good. But that, mm-hmm. the they start getting above, uh, three stars and above at 23 of the 25 entries on my Studio Ghibli plus list. So <laughs> yeah. they're all pretty good, you know. <laughs> uh mm-hmm. for what makes his films so special to me, I think it is the animation in general is is breathtaking, you know, the level of detail uh for environments and you know, they don't he doesn't cut corners in his animation. Like when you watch a lot of anime, you see especially in the in TV shows you see a lot of canned recycled animations and he doesn't do that for the most part. I, I, I don't want to say that it's 100% cause I, I can't remember every, <laughs> every frame of every movie, but he, mm-hmm. he doesn't, doesn't do that uh, very often if at all. Uh, and so in addition to the animation, just being absolutely breathtaking, he also just tells very sweet stories and you guys know I'm, I'm a, a big story guy and, uh, and We'll talk about it a little more, I'm sure, because I, I may. We'll just bring it up now. The the documentary "Kingdom of Dreams and Madness"
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that was done about Studio Ghibli and particularly focused on Hayao Miyazaki and his producer Suzuki. Uh, the way he talks about animation is how I feel about animation. You get to you get to mm-hmm. explore things in you know real world environments in a fantastical way. And it's, you know, it's it's just breathtaking the way, you know, he's so passionate and it comes across yeah. in, in his art. And, you know, I feel that that's a hallmark of a great director. And, you know, personally, I'm a big animation guy and I, I have this mental block that makes me think that it's harder to convey the director's intent and passion in animation than it is to see it. In a live-action film, I, I I I don't have any like empirical evidence to back that up, but that's how I feel about animation. So whenever mm-hmm. an animated movie uh, doesn't just hit me on like oh the cuteness level, but also hits me on an emotional yeah. level and has a message that just sticks with you, I I'm always way more impressed by that.
1: Yeah, uh, I th- I think to that point um, of like an- animation, uh, film in general is in my opinion by committee, but animation especially is by committee in terms of like creating shots it's like you're not it's not like it in general it's not just one person but in animation it's especially not just one person yeah
2: because they're passing each (laughs) each frame from person to person to add more to it uh and Mm -hmm. and you know Hayao Miyazaki you know he does the storyboards but then once the storyboards are passed off to other animators there's no guarantee that they're going to look exactly like Hayao Miyazaki drew them right you know Mm -hmm. it's so impressive. Uh, and then the last thing on for me, uh, we wanted to talk about what you know our, our top fives. My top five Hayao Miyazaki uh, films would be uh, Ca- Castle of Cagliostro, uh, which is you know a Loop in the Third movie. Uh, I was more aware of Loop in the Third uh, than I was that Hayao Miyazaki had directed a Loop in the Third movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I first watched that, and I was like, "Holy crap! This is Hayao Miyazaki." And it was so it's so fun and uh, great series as well. If you if you have if you're looking for an entry point into anime, Lupin the Third is just fun. Uh, number four, I had Princess Mononoke. Uh, number three uh, would be Spirited Away. My number two would be Howl's Moving Castle, and then number one Hayao Miyazaki would be The Wind Rises, which we're talking about today. Mm. Uh, there you I go. I had I had Wind Rises a little bit. Uh, lower before my most recent rewatch, but I just, every time I watch it, I find more and more I, I enjoy about The Wind Rises. I did mm. want to mention that my top Studio Ghibli movie is The Tale of Princess Kaguya, uh, which is not Hayao mm. Miyazaki, uh, but is also really fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's my list. Solid. Solid. Um, okay, so... Uh...
0: For me I have told this story on the podcast before but um I, I encountered uh, the Ghibli movies or Ghibli movies whatever uh, with Spirited Away as well but the first time I saw it I saw it in theaters um and this would have been nice. 2003 so I was like 7 years old and for some Perfect. reason our teacher so our teacher t- took us to see Spirited Away but it was like at night in this weird like kind of dingy theater and we were all pretty terrified of it <laughs> cuz Spirited Away for a child of seven, does have some pretty spooky imagery. So my first experience was it was like, I, I don't think I'm old. I, I, I remember thinking, I don't think I'm old enough for this. I think <laughs> I, I thought it was confusing. I didn't, I, I was like, oh, what are all these creepy monsters doing? Whatever. Um, so I kind of rediscovered uh, Miyazaki much later. Um, I, I, I think uh, not when it came out on Netflix, but before I bought a few Blu-rays just because I was, I thought, okay, I love animation, there's no reason why I shouldn't have watched these movies, I really have to get into them. So I think I bought uh, *Spirited Away* again, I bought Totoro, and I bought Howl's Moving Castle. Those are the first uh, three that I watched, um, and then the movies were added to Netflix in Italy as well, so I, I watched uh, all of them. The only one I, I haven't seen, I think, is Castle in the Sky. Uh, which I just, I don't know, I uh, haven't seen it yet, but I'll I'll watch it. Uh, probably tomorrow. Eventually, or, yeah, probably <laughs> soon. Because um, it, it's on my mind at this point and I want to finish the filmography, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, what what I love about his movies is uh, how you can, I think people say this about Pixar as well, but I think it's even more true for Miyazaki and, and Ghibli in general, even though I haven't seen many Ghibli movies outside of Miyazaki yet, uh, I will soon again um that you can experience them on so many different levels you can just watch them as a cute little adventure uh that you know maybe not children of seven all the time but children in general can just enjoy uh just on a surface level but then you can actually read into them and there are some powerful uh interesting themes and messages that i, I think um come from a very strong directorial voice that again as jeff said uh in animation, you don't always feel in the same way that you do with these movies. Um, and they're also generally themes that, or, you know, political opinions or views that I, I share, that I uh, care about in my just, you know, my, in my normal life. So I think seeing them represented on screen next to the absolutely stunning art of the animation and the fantasy worlds that he's able to build, it, it just creates a hole that really works for me. Um, as far as my top five goes, I, I have Kiki in the top five. I have it at five or four. I'm a bit tentative on that. Uh, then I have My Neighbor Totoro, uh, Princess Monoka at three, Spirited Away at two, and The Wind Rises for myself as well at number one. I
2: absolutely adore that film. Is it because of uh, Italy being featured yet again? <laughs> it's it's not. It's, it's really not. <laughs>
0: That's actually, that's the one thing I'm that I'm so like, excited. Eh, this is, this is fine. <laughs> this part is fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not because of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually talking about, talking about, I think uh, Porco Rosso is actually really underrated uh, among his movies. I, I, I would do, agree. I never see it discussed as one of his best. Um, I have it number seven on my list, but again, I think all of his movies are so brilliant in their own way that um it, it's not really the order doesn't really at the end of the day doesn't really matter too much for me um but I mm-hmm. think Borco Rosso might be his most underrated because I think he nails uh, the feel of 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 you know I've had grandparents talk to me about what it felt like living in Italy at that time because it was during fascist rule Right. And I think mm-hmm. the film is surprisingly accurate to to how people were and felt. Uh,
1: not like that new Pixar movie coming out. Not <laughs> yeah,
0: let's not get into that. Uh... We
2: haven't seen the movie yet. Give them a chance. Hugo. We'll,
0: yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Let's just say I had I had some thoughts about the trailer. I had some thoughts about the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, so... and I did want to say
2: with uh in, in general, like we're talking about the quality of these movies, uh for all the Studio Ghibli movies, my nine of my top ten I have rated as nine stars, or excuse me, uh, nine out of yeah. ten. So I, I have you know mm-hmm. four and a half stars. There, yeah, you know, there's there's so many excellent movies, and uh, if I had to say something that I think is a uh, well, I guess we're, we're, we'll we'll get into it. But the point is, just give these a shot if you haven't. If you're a fan of oh, animation yeah. at all, get past the block that or not you know, or, or yeah. Get past the block and watch some of these because they're just they're really fantastic stories. Okay, go ahead. You and
1: go. for the for the most part, they have like pretty decent dubs too. If that's kind of maybe
2: not your thing, I I almost I watch almost all of these. I watched dubbed first uh, because mm-hmm. I, I like dubs and uh, at, some of the earlier dubs were not good. And then Hayao Miyazaki yeah. got pretty vocal about wanting to be involved with the dubs, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and then since then they have been fantastic. <laughs> I
0: would agree. Yeah, at some point, Disney took over the distribution, right? And so it was them casting for the dubbing, I think.
1: Yeah, you got that Disney money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Disney money, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so um, outside of just our general thoughts, I thought uh, we could uh, maybe just very briefly delve into some of Miyazaki's, like, uh, themes and stylistic uh choices that he offered that often uh, are com- common to a lot of his movies and cuz i think it w- what's what makes his movies particularly stick out is how uh, again as i said before they are able to carry very deep thought provoking messages in in a child friendly beautiful beautifully animated story um and i think i wrote down some stuff uh here just General themes that you can of often recognize in a lot of his movies are, you know, environmentalism, pacifism, and uh, war. War as war is often portrayed as as the worst uh, trauma for Japan, because I think that which I think is you know quite a common theme for a lot of Japanese films and and media in general. Um, mm-hmm. Some uh, his movies have been described as feminist because of the way uh, they treat female characters, uh, considering. Especially, uh, we know as we know in anime, uh, female characters aren't always as uh, well treated and as well developed as they are in Miyazaki films. Um, for example, he, you know his films have been praised by female critics because of the fact that uh, they very rarely include any sexualization at all of female characters. Uh, the the mm. you know the a lot of his protagonists are, are female and and they're just very well rounded, interesting characters. Um, um, other themes that that came to my mind were st- stuff like um, the importance of love and family, um, the, th- this idea of progress a- um, as both a positive as an and the negative. I think we'll get into it in, in The Wind Rises specifically, but I think a lot of his, sure. his, his movies have this idea of um, scientific progress and, uh, and technological progress has a positive in the sense that it's beautiful that mankind is able to create things. But at the same time, there's sort of a, a, a criticism of how industrialized and commercialized uh, the, the world is becoming and has become. Um, and if you, you know, if you read interviews from him, he's he's very vocal about all of these subjects uh, when it comes to both international and, and Japanese politics. He, he is so, yeah,
2: very outpo- outspoken about all sorts of issues. Yeah. He's, like, opposed to nuclear power. Uh, he, oh, yeah. yeah. He, like... I mean, he's an influential figure and and they they talk about it in the in the documentary I referenced earlier that uh, mm-hmm. he, like his opinion impacted the election. <laughs> <laughs> yep. that's a lot of lot of sway for a guy who makes kids cartoons.
0: <laughs> yeah. <sighs> And and yeah and, and and you can see in the documentary as well cause he and where he talks about oh I I only take Sundays off but uh, from work but Sundays are really busy because I go clean the river so he's like yeah. fervent environmentalist and and actively yeah and which so, is so
2: so cool because it's not just like he's not just telling you the message like you know this his movies don't just have a message Hayao outside of the movies goes and lives his messages which is just so inspiring to me I just love this man so much. Mm. <laughs> My man's talking about praxis.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, at the same time, um mm-hmm. he's apparently also quite a an intense person to work with. um He's a very you know grueling schedule and creative process you know he he does He doesn't have scripts, so he only does storyboards for his movies, but they take him years to produce, and oftentimes the movie goes into production, so the actual animation starts before the the actual storyboard is finished so the animators are having to work with an incomplete story and they don't really know where they're going with this they don't have a script so you know mm-hmm. there, there's posit- obviously men uh people i should say with such strong creative visions sometimes can be quite difficult to work with because yeah. they demand a perfect version of what they have in their minds yeah
1: i i watched um the 10 years with Hayao miyazaki um it, Documentary, but it's more like a docu series because it's four minute episodes. One of my major takeaways is that Hayao Miyazaki is like kind of a dick sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um And I was like, oh man, now I gotta now I gotta think about this. And like, he's not some. Yeah, he there's. I would hundred percent recommend that series. There's a lot, particularly in regards to like his relationship with his son, which yeah. is very like interestingly documented in that film. I am I'm shocked that like a couple of it, a couple of those things were like left into the film he he is a very uh grueling man to work with and for
2: and even in the much more rosy colored uh documentary of you know kingdom of dreams and madness you can still kind of see it the way he talks about like you know some of the people he's worked with and you know his expectations while he's working you know it's he's definitely uh, uh you know Ruling with an iron fist, <laughs> at times, because yeah. uh, you know he's very experienced at this point. So it's it's not too surprising that he w- wants things done a certain way and you know on his schedule, which has caused problems for the producers <laughs> on several of his movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah, he. At the same time, it it does seem like the people working there are like, oh, it's it's challenging, but it's also quite stimulating to work with, with this man. Yes. So yeah. There are obviously ups and downs to to this type of strong, creative personality, I think. Because um, at the same time, we, we probably wouldn't be able to get movies as great as as these if he didn't have that strong... I think it, it's,
2: it's a it's fine, fine line. It's that eternal thing. thing. Oh, yeah, there, there we go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fine yeah. line uh, between being a grueling boss, but that but the the employees don't mind that because the ultimate reward is worthwhile versus being a grueling boss and then the payoff is not there. These people working on these movies when you you see it at the the wrap yeah. party for The Wind Rises, they are ecstatic. They're so happy with what they developed and, you know, mm-hmm. you could tell that, you know, everything was worth it for them and you know. Very very Although cool.
0: Although they they do say not all alter- some people just can't deal with it and they quit which, well yeah you know,
2: which is but he said that fair. he says that himself yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. he says uh, uh you know if if it's too hard for you and you want to quit please quit i would do the same yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he actually says i will do the or, same uh, yeah that's right it's he says i hard. will <laughs> do the same <laughs>
0: yeah. so yeah mm-hmm. an interesting an interesting man uh, for sure um don't know if if we don't have any more thoughts about Miyazaki in general I think we can jump into
2: the movie well okay I just you know we were talking about all those themes uh and we Mm -hmm. we just kind of rattled them off but I did want to mention uh particularly with the topic of feminism uh we, we talked about how his you know he doesn't sexualize the characters and all that a lot of his uh main characters are children uh for a lot of his movies and little girls and uh he has said you know in public statements and things like that, that he just, you know, he, he, I think it was, I don't know if it was a granddaughter or a, a, a niece. I, I can't remember, but he was talking to a child and, you know, she was asking why there aren't more movies ab- about, you know, little girls, uh, but, you know, having adventures. And so he wanted to make movies for little girls where it's not about, you know, of the princess getting saved or, you know, things like that. They are very much, you know they, the his female characters can do anything they you know they don't fit into any particular norms in terms of what their uh, attire should be or their behavior they're just little little girls having an adventure and i you know in especially in terms of you know in comparison to western movies there's a dearth of female protagonists where you know they're they don't have any preconceived notions about what that character should look like or should do you know it, it's you know one of the uh, the best things about his his films for me is mm-hmm. that none of the characters have you know there's no rules for what his characters will be allowed to do you know it's very 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 kind very cool
1: yeah i I have some more thoughts about miyazaki but i think they they line up very well with like the way this film is presented so i'll hold them till then
2: okay
0: cool awesome then, that sounded really uh, ominous. I didn't
1: mean it like that. <laughs>
0: yeah, it sounded, oh, I have some so bad things, so many bad things about this movie that I love about. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So let's jump into our film to remember for this week, which is *The Wind Rises*. Uh, I've gathered quite a, quite a few facts because this movie it ha- is surprisingly deep when it comes to uh, interesting facts about it. Um, so the movie was released in Japan in 2013 and in the rest of the world in 2014. Um, it is a fictionalized biographical film. It's based on the life of Jiro Horikoshi, Horikoshi uh, who is a Japanese engineer, a real-life uh, figure, a uh, Japanese engineer who who was famous for creating these fighter planes uh, during before and during World War II. The fighter planes that were the A5M and the A6M Zero, which are famous in Japan as the V Zero, the Zero plane, because it's kind mm-hmm. of a a
2: well-known famous worldwide if we're being real yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah
0: but i mean in, in japan it's it's kind of uh kind of for them it's sort of something that they're proud of as a technological advancement that japan was able to achieve at the time um um it's this uh so again fictionalized biographical film it has elements of his life uh, mixed with some uh, kind of autobi— we'll discuss this—but autobiographical things about Miyazaki himself. Uh, there are elements that come from this 1937 novel called uh, *The Wind Has Risen* by Tatsuo Hori. Uh, yeah, that, the title obviously comes from there. But, <laughs> um, so, for example, the story thread of the the wife of the, well fiancé and then wife of the protagonist uh, getting tuberculosis comes from. This Uh, novel—it wasn't something that happened. Basically, all of his
1: personal life is fictionalized.
0: Yes, the 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 personal life stuff is is the part that is mostly fiction, and the the engineering Mm -hmm. side is more biographical. Um, uh, the film was made on a budget of thirty million dollars, and has a worldwide box office of one hundred and thirty-six. So it made quite a few. uh, It did okay yeah it did it did pretty good considering the budget and yeah. it was the highest grossing film in Japan in 2013 so that's that's an interesting tidbit um it was wor- again in terms of awards it this i thought this was really interesting um it was nominated <laughs> at the oscars for best animated feature and it didn't win uh it lost to uh frozen in 2013 so yeah uh, do that what you will um that, that which is a hurt- fine film it's fine it's okay it but it hurts my brain that they chose that over this uh for best animated feature it's it's wild it's crazy um also interestingly at the golden globes it wasn't even nominated in the animation category it was nominated as best uh foreign language film and it lost mm. to uh the italian film the great beauty which i don't know if you've seen it but i don't know again i, I would not put it above this um Yeah. Uh, In terms of the content of the movie, the movie was actually quite uh, controversial uh, before and after its release in Japan because um, the the main political party in Japan, well, the political party in Japan that was in government, I think it still is, is the Liberal Democratic Party. It's called Liberal Democratic, so it could be confusing for an American audience, but it is the Conservative Party over there. Uh, it's the centre-right uh, wing. <laughs> this conservative is why party. We, this is
1: why you're here, Hugo, for the for the political science.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 me. Um, and the uh, leaders of this party were quite crit- or at least media affiliated with this party was quite critical of this film. It, it was actually called uh, anti-Japanese. It was called uh, radically left-wing because of its anti-war messages and. Um, Miyazaki also added uh, to this kind of uh, controversy that was going on because he wrote an essay uh, around the time that the movie was releasing. Uh, he wrote an essay uh, criticizing the the, the government because they were trying to change Article 9 of the, the Japanese Constitution, um, which essentially would allow uh, Japan to remilitarize. Because Japan has an article in the Constitution that basically uh, outlaws war as a means of Uh, settling international disputes Um, and so there was this big controversy around the film because a lot of Japanese right-wing media sort of uh, had issues with with the contents of the film itself
2: I think this is so fascinating because when I watch The Wind Rises I mean I I get the anti-war sentiments Mm -hmm. but it is not particularly in your face about it like the guy is still making warplanes and yeah
1: (laughs) I I would argue in some ways it can be seen to skew the other way in my opinion um which we can we can talk about later this is a lot of japanese politics involved in this film which i would assume that none of us are like experts on which makes it a little difficult to discuss (laughs) yeah i was like trying to read a little bit yesterday so i could like have some context and i was like i don't get any of this
2: yeah I, i i did not find it like particularly overtly You know, in your face, anti war. It was like, yeah, like, you know, this, it's more about the mental conflict that, that Horikoshi has with what Mm -hmm. he's doing than it is like, you know, he's not out there protesting with a sign or, you know. (laughs) That's true.
0: But I also think that in, to a Japanese sensibility, this can be seen as quite against uh, the war because it's a, it's kind of a big. Uh, deal in Japan the fact that um, the government has never formally apologized issued apologies to, uh, of uh, its invasions during World War two because Japan invaded of course invaded Korea it invaded China and uh, a lot of the center to center left uh, wing parties have always wanted uh, Japan to officially sort of um, uh, apologize for for those actions during World War two where you know Japan was allied with the Nazis yeah um, and and this was something that uh, the Japanese government chose to never address, um, and so the fact that even the film has an anti-war message at all, and it's taking this thing, this this zero plane that the Japanese are are quite proud of, at least you know on the right, um, it 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 to their eyes, it, it it turned out to be quite a controversial. Yeah, uh, uh, and this
2: is it's for. a a cultural difference because you know I, I I see it and I, I see this movie and I see that Hayao Miyazaki is still quite proud of the zero plane uh mm-hmm. and that comes across in in the movie and it's you know that's why I, that's one of the reasons I kind of love it is that it you know he's not uh a, he's still very proud of the their accomplishments uh in in technological advancement and things like that but is also also able to acknowledge the the bad sides of it which you know was what makes this movie great <laughs> mm-hmm
0: um okay so having said all that boilerplate stuff let's get into our discussion um so i thought just to start what do you guys just very briefly in general think about this movie what's your like twitter review of of the wind rises
1: yeah uh, this movie is um okay twitter review so in my head i'm trying to 280 characters. no, uh, no that's that's just uh, a, a saying gorgeously... you, you, can,
0: you can talk for a few minutes don't worry
1: no i think this movie is like really gorgeously animated um and what's most striking about it is is how different it is from miyazaki's other works while kind of maintaining a lot of the same sensibilities um this is miyazaki's first film about like adults um and i guess lupin's technically an adult but you know what i mean um (laughs) and it's his like first film that's like not fantastical in like any way like as crazy it gets as like some dream sequences. And even then those dream sequences aren't like very like out there uh, in the first place, there's no magic involved. Um, and so that kind of changes things both like visually, but also narratively. Um, and I think it, it walks this very tight line of like, this is a movie about a man who created planes to kill people that also like killed the people in them uh, for the most part. And, um, and there's a very tight rope around how that message is perceived from from all angles um and i think it it, at the end of the day it's like very kind of well executed and also um the personal stuff is i think some of his some of his best kind of romantic writing um and that aspect i think is is very very strong and and kind of the emotional core of the film uh, even though it's definitely centered as like a B plot in the narrative I think you can see a lot of Miyazaki in this movie too which in some ways I think works to its benefit but in some ways is maybe he can't write himself out of himself he can't write himself out of this movie which I think makes us stumble but like overall I think it's it's beautiful
2: I completely agree with that <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for my you know, short review, I'm going I'm, to, I'll try not to read it exactly off my letterbox, but I did just r- write a little review on it last night. Uh I, this is, a, for me, this is a movie that's about passion. Uh It's, and it's about work-life balance, you know, you know, because he's, uh Horikoshi is as passionate about planes and, and, and his work as he is for his, his, you know, his wife and his relationship with her. And, you know, he, it, it's a constant struggle for him to continue to do the great work he was doing as an engineer but also to be there for his uh, sick wife uh, so I, I find all that fantastic and I also just like, we, like Jackson said it's, you know, this is very much Hayao Miyazaki in the film uh, you see it throughout his entire history of making movies uh, Miyazaki loves airplanes <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> they are featured mm-hmm. prominently in the majority of his movies in one way or another. He just loves flying machines. And so it's so cool to kind of see in Horikoshi the same, you know, passion that Hayao Miyazaki has shown through his animation. Uh, so I think that's fantastic. The political stuff is is important and uh, is not handled with, like, kid gloves while also not being, you know, uh, like I said, overt uh it it's you know it makes it so the movie is still fully digestible for a child and for them to appreciate it but also has those added levels that an adult can appreciate even more uh and i also just love that uh this is an opportunity as a, as an american uh to see a movie about the world war 2 era that is not about the us's view you know in world war 2 mm-hmm. it's very rare to get a world war 2 movie uh, from any perspective other than U.S. or British soldiers, uh, and at least for to, you know, at least to be seen by American audiences, I'm sure they exist, but they're not, yeah, you know, widely well known in the United States. And uh, as, as a fan of you know a, a history guy, I like you know I like studying history. It's a really cool perspective to get to to enjoy. But I do have to say, my absolute favorite thing about this movie is the sound design the The sound effects mm. in this movie are so unique. They're all man made, and you know, mm-hmm. there's moments where I, I forget that this is a bunch of people making noises into microphones that are making these <laughs> sound effects because sometimes they're so good, you know. Uh, but that mm-hmm. yeah, it I I I did want to mention that Jackson said uh, that you know there's it's not magical but i I think they still manage to achieve a level of whimsy through the dream sequences, oh yeah, 100%. that uh still gives you that air of fantasy uh that you come mm. to expect from Studio Ghibli movies while still being fully grounded in a very real story i I love it mm-hmm. Hugo, what are your yeah. thoughts so for me
0: it it's my favorite Mizaki film because it's it's the one that got me the most on on i think on a personal emotional level I think the Personal storytelling of of this Jiro character, who is extremely passionate and uh, falls in love, and at the same time he has a very sad side to him. That he's sort of a, a, a melancholic character all of the time, because he he is so passionate. He wants to make something. Be- in all the dream sequences with Caproni, uh, who we'll talk about, um, mm. he's always talking <laughs> about. I want. We want to make something beautiful but it's a cursed dream. There's this image of the cursed dream because mm. they know it's going to be used for war. Like what they want is to make a beautiful flying machine, but they know that it, because of the world they live in, it, it'll eventually be used in war. So it, it kind of, mm-hmm. there's this inherent sadness to his character that really got me, um, that really worked for me. I, I really identified with him um, more so than than I had been able to with, with other protagonists in Ghibli movies, which, not so much because of maybe because of the age or the sex, but more the gender. Sorry, um, but more because of kind of the fantastical setting uh, that made it, it. It didn't feel as as identifiable for me on a very personal level. This film, in that sense, really got me. Um, and in terms of the portrayal of Japan and 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 its entry into the war, I found it extremely fascinating, especially uh, as a counterpoint to the history that I know. So because I'm Italian, uh, obviously, and uh, but my my experience with... You say I'm obviously, but
2: you, you talk like a British person. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Italian,
0: uh, kind of obviously, because I, I say it, but uh, you know, whatever. Um, and also I'm half Jewish. So my experience with uh, the entering into World War Two is very much from a German and Italian point of view. So the history that I know is of two countries where... Uh, The rise of fascism was through elections uh, because both Mussolini Mm -hmm. and Hitler were voted in and then eventually became dictators. But the people, at least initially, supported uh, these regimes. And I thought the portrayal of Japan in the way that they also slowly had started to have a secret police, they also had sort of a fascistic, uh, militaristic rule. But Japan before wasn't a democracy, Japan was an empire. So uh, uh, the fact that they show these people who have a very because they, they're engineers, they're kind of the, uh, the the high end of society in Japan. And they show these people who have a very uh, in, they, they understand the perspective of the fact that Japan isn't like the other countries. So Japan is mm-hmm. joining this war on the side of the Nazis. But the regime that is internal is quite different. The people are surprised that they are joining a war. You know what I mean? It, I thought that element was really, really fascinating. Go ahead,
2: Chris. I just wanted to say, like, it was my second watch through of this movie when I realized that when Horikoshi is, uh, that when they come to tell him that the secret police are looking for him, it was the second time I was watching the movie that I realized that they were talking about Japanese secret police because you always uh, yeah. you always hear about you know the secret police in Germany, uh, yeah. and I was like, and oh, Italy, wait, by the way, and, and Italy, yeah, and and but so I was like, wait, Japan did that too? Oh my goodness, because <laughs> I, I always thought the first time I watched, I was like, boy. The German secret police are <laughs> trying to find them in Japan. This is <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I learned something from this movie.
0: <laughs> I thought that element was incredibly fascinating. It's a point of view that I I, I hadn't really thought about because in the way, in my idea of history, it's the Axis. You know, you have Japan, you have mm-hmm. Germany, and you have Italy. They work together against the Allies, but. Japan was quite different in the way that it had uh, ended up in that alliance. It wasn't exactly the same, especially internally. So a lot of Japanese uh, people at the time, uh, ja- Miyazaki talks about this quite often. He talks about his father and how they were all surprised that well, they were joining a war. And and Horikoshi himself, he has, I think he there were some diaries of him that were published later after he died and... In his writing, he, he often mm-hmm. wrote, Japan is just is going to blow up. The, the sentence that we get in the movie, Japan is going to blow up. They, they are entering a war with America for no reason uh, other than blind, uh, blindly trying to conquest in, in Korea and China, and we are going to lose. Like This is, this is crazy that we're doing mm-hmm. this. But it, because it's an imperial rule, it, the, you know, the Japanese people didn't really have a say in, in the same way that kind of in Germany and Italy they did. So mm-hmm. I thought that that perspective was was really interesting. Yeah, I
1: think it's also an interesting perspective, like technologically. When they were talking about like you're just like, oh yeah, these people are just at the forefront of uh, innovation and technology, which is like not necessarily true because you're like in Japan, they're like, yeah, we've got like some wood and yeah. some like very basic like materials to stick together, and they go to Germany and they're like, man, I wish we had like metal to build planes with, and I was like you didn't like it's very yeah it's it's very a very interesting perspective to kind of see what things were like back then from like an actual like like miyazaki wasn't there but like from that kind of historical like national
2: lens i mean he he was you know born you know when I think uh, he was born in 41 41 so, so I mean, like you know, he, i think he has memories he says, uh, of the
0: war yeah uh yeah which, you but not know, obviously in the detail that movie goes
2: in. Obviously. Yeah, obviously not to that detail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless he was mm-hmm. a very, very intelligent and involved five-year-old. <laughs> yeah, which I'm sure he was. It's, it's sure interesting,
0: was, too.
1: I, 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 was reading, I was reading a quote from Miyazaki where he was like, yeah, if I was like 10 years old, I probably would have been a military youth. And I was like, that's really how easy that can happen.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's Children the are easily manipulated. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh so, yeah, the, the war stuff is, you know, one of the more fascinating elements to me in, in this movie, for sure. Uh, but I, 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 like Jackson was saying, this is the advent of Japan as the technological powerhouse that we all know them as today. They, you know, it, it kind of starts here uh, with the innovations that they were able to make in aeronautics and then all that stuff, you know, you know i mean you've seen it how many how many people own a, a television that was made by a japanese company i mean like a lot lot of people you know mm-hmm. we we all own game systems they that all starts just after the war where you know they convert all of their factories and everything to building new technologies and that that it starts here uh which i think is a very neat thing that you know you get to see that transition
0: yeah so um just just to go through some different aspects uh, of the movies of the movie i first of all i'd like to talk a little bit about um the setting because it, it's quite interesting that it's it is the most grounded in reality miyazaki film but we've already mentioned this that there's these really cool um uh, dream sequences where he jiro meets this uh, real again another historical figure a real life italian engineer who also built planes uh, and which, of course, were used for war. Uh, this uh, Caproni uh, person and I'm just interested in how this movie is is grounded in reality, but through both the dream sequences and the use of fantastical animation, it manages to maintain that sense of of magic and fantasy that uh, Miyazaki films have. So, for example, when mm-hmm. I, I, the scene that I remember is when they have uh, when there's that scene with the earthquake, the, the earthquake, and mm-hmm. the the ground actually does like <laughs> waves, which of course are completely impossible, but it it, it fits mm-hmm. into this world despite the fact that it's realistic because you could tell the same story in live action, oh, but it wouldn't sure. have the same exact charm. I don't know if you guys noticed uh, stuff like that.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. With the especially in that scene in particular, that's one of those scenes where you know, I had a moment where I I couldn't tell if this was a dream a or dream reality. One, yeah. uh, and part of that is the fantastical animation of, like, the waves of Earth moving, but combine that with the sound design, like I, I talked about earlier, uh, where, like, you know, <laughs> this earthquake is very, like, unusual sound effects because it's, you know, all man-made. Uh, but so it, it all adds to that, You know, even in this reality, you have this momentary question of, you know, is this actually happening to him or is this another one of his uh, bizarre dreams? And then it's like, oh, no, this is Mm -hmm. this is real. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think to just the kind of I think this movie needed that um, because otherwise um, I think if you through the dreams, you get like. Jiro's dreams of like, hey, I want to build something beautiful, and I think without that, it's a little easier to be like, this movie seems pretty happy to go to war. Yeah. Um, which is clearly not the message. Um, I, I, I think um, one of my small problems with this movie is that like Miyazaki cannot detach himself from the wow pretty planes to like kind of think about it a little more critically. I would have liked to see. Because um, I, I think at the end of the day, the argument is, hey, this was all worth it. We made beautiful planes. And, like, personally, I would argue maybe it's not so worth it um, to build these beautiful planes to, like, go and kill people. But I know that, that also the movie, like, uh, kind of agrees with that take that, like, this was bad. But it was kind of like, well, that's the cost of, like, uh, uh, innovation, I which I don't 100% agree with. Um, but I think it's presented in in a... Uh, i i just think Miyazaki loves these planes like a little too much to like really dig into it
0: and it's interesting that you say that cuz he says that in the documentary as well while he's making it he's like i i want this movie to be completely anti-war i'm a pacifist 100% i think yeah the was no that's so the thing wrong too uh, but at the same time i love these planes i think they look so beautiful when they're flying through the through the clouds I, so i think am i might i think he says am i a hypocrite for mm. for loving these planes so much yeah. and and i guess that that sort of contradiction is 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 part yeah. of of the story well, of yeah. the film
2: and maybe it's hindsight for me but i i was thinking that uh you know part of the the reason why i can kind of justify that he continues to make these planes even knowing what they're going to be used for is sort of a similar thing to uh the uh, you know what uh, Galen Erso says in Rogue One which we we talked about recently yeah. about like they would do this <laughs> they would do this without me you know mm-hmm. so you know i can be involved and you know because they're going to make they're going to make warplanes without without him yeah uh so yeah. you know and he wanted to make planes and this was his the, the way he could do it mm-hmm. uh so yeah. I, I can kind of not quite justify it, but it like it moves it closer to justification, if you know what I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's also again, I think the movie doesn't
0: go into detail on this because it doesn't want to get too dark. Um, but it's also a world where if he's the best designer of airplanes and he, he decides, has to build airplanes yeah, for in, a Japanese military, he decides military. to not do it. The the secret police is going to go to his house and sequester him and force him to do it.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: It you know there is also that that I don't I think the movie portrays it but doesn't go into too much detail with it I think the mm-hmm. the conversation that he has with um, that German character in the hotel um, yeah. kind of goes into something to that extent because he's saying oh look uh, there's a war coming and these countries are going to blow each other up and um, you know the the German designer he's in trouble and then we find out he's been killed um, mm-hmm. so there is. That element to it as well, I think, and then, and at the same time, I think there's this recurring motif of the cursed dream, which is something that both Mm -hmm. both Caproni says and Miyazaki says, of kind of his own movies. um, It that that kind of justifies what the movie is 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 going for. But I I understand, Mm -hmm. I understand what you mean that it it does need that fantastical element to kind of add some context to his characters because we don't want him to Mm -hmm. just love planes and make warplanes planes and, and not really think about them.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I did want to touch on, the, we, we talked about it earlier about how in Japan, they viewed this as extremely anti-war. The fact that they don't delve into the, you know, the whole, the secret police are going to force you to do this anyway stuff would be more evidence mm-hmm. to my point that it's, it's really not that <laughs> in your face about it. I, yeah. I don't know why you're so upset. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think part of it too is, is it so easy to, because Miyazaki like says it himself, to be like, this is just kind of about making animated movies as well, or at least his animated movies. And I would argue that sometimes he's a bit too much of a dick, uh, but he thinks that it's worth it. And therefore, of course, Jiro building planes has to be worth it because to him, this movie is partially about himself.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's more Hayao Miyazaki putting himself into Jiro's character.
0: Yeah, I think mm-hmm. the... The metaphor between the movie, the planes, and the movies, and you know, the planes are cursed dreams because they get used for war, and the movies are kind of cursed dreams because they become part of this giant conglomerate of commercialism that Miyazaki mm-hmm. is so annoyed with, um, and quite critical of. You know, he's he's famously you know not a big fan of otaku culture and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So he you know the fact that his movies are. So commercially successful. Sometimes it, it seems like he kind of resents it, it, it to some extent. Um, yeah. So yeah, he knows it's that not. It, it's that is the message. Part of the problem
2: that you know, part of the problem for him, he's his movies become part of it. But he also just loves making movies. So yeah, it the parallels are very evident.
1: <laughs> it's so interesting, and it makes so much sense as a quote unquote final film until, of course, he decided to make another movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but which is interesting cuz like all he, I think his movies have been getting more existential as time has gone by and I think there's he himself he 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 seems like quite an existential person like he it, it he I think he questions uh, what is the meaning of what I do what what, what is the meaning of everything constantly while mm-hmm. he's working and the fact that he's coming back to do a movie that's called How Do You Live after he made a movie that it's about how do you even go on doing what you're passionate about knowing that it's going to become something bad and how do you even live now? <laughs> it's it's yeah.
1: the quote too, the the wind is rising Yeah, therefore you must try you to must... live. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a lot yeah. going on it, here. There's a lot there's a lot of, of, of him in the movie, uh, for sure. Um mm-hmm. that being said, um just to to get back into more of the the, the actual story of the film, um how do we feel about just the more personal side of, of, of this story. Uh, so Jiro's relationship, uh, uh, the characters that he encounters, so I'm thinking specifically of, you know, uh, obviously love story with Nahoko and uh, his, his friendships with his, you know, there's Honjo, which is one of the, the... He's an engineer that is more or less of the same age. And then there's this... John three, Krasinski.
2: Oh, in, the, in the dub, right? it was John Krasinski. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess and we didn't ask, this... for the most recent watch, what did you all watch? Did you watch uh, Dubbed or Subbed? Sub. Sorry, what was that, Hugo? Sub.
0: A sub, okay. And there's a very specific reason... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have rewatched the dub, but I had originally watched the sub, like, whenever I watched this movie and first. I watched
2: the dub again, because I, I do really enjoy the dub. <laughs> Werner Herzog, man. Werner Herzog, mate, is so good! <laughs> wow, what, what, what characters does he play? He's, uh, I forget the character's name, the, has, like, the German that he meets at the He plays the, the German. Hotel. He plays the German. Right, <laughs> right,
0: right. That, that makes sense. But, okay, okay, so now it's time yeah. to talk
2: about the curse, isn't it? He, he yeah, he has like ten
1: lines time. in the movie, and they're all incredible.
2: Yeah, and and then he, oh man, it was it, he's kind of a like I want to hear more about that character because he does such cool, like he just kind of disappears because he's running from the SS. <laughs> I don't know if it's implied that he's a German Jew. I I kind of got that vibe, but at the very least, if he wasn't a German Jew, I thought that he was at the very least uh, acting against the interests of. You know, the Nazis. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, is... Uh, I don't know if this movie kind of
0: has personal ties for me, but my my great-grandfather was a German Jew who was an engineer and escaped from from Germany to, to England. Wow. So there's a lot of parallels that I keep finding in this. Um, okay, let's talk about The Curse. Um, so for this movie... <laughs> The casting choice of the main character, uh, Jiro uh, Horikoshi, this is portrayed in in the documentary as well, is Evangelion creator um, Hideaki Anno. And I think this casting choice is so incredibly weird and so perfect at the same time. Because like the idea of casting Anno as this really kind of sad, uh, very soft-spoken sad character who is really passionate about his work but at the same time, knows that once the work is out, it's cursed, and and he's gonna hate it for some reason. Is I think is is absolutely. They just told. I, I they know. just
2: told Arno to play himself.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's it's just look.
1: And any footage you can see of this online is incredible. Oh, <laughs> uh, I re I. I rewatched the the episode of the doc that I watched about this, and it's literally just him and uh, the producer. I can't remember his name at this moment. Being like, "Yeah, just what about
2: Anno? And goes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because they were looking for a a, a voice that is uh, an intellectual voice, and then mm-hmm. you know, even as someone who doesn't speak Japanese, you can tell from Anno's tone his intonation when he's speaking, he does have an intellectual quality to the way he is. He, he, he's, he's lined. He, he speaks short, you know, uh, plosive mm-hmm. consonants, things like that, that, you know, uh, and also doesn't have a lot of intonation kind of have a monotonic
0: yeah. voice, but, but captures mm-hmm. your attention somehow. Yeah.
2: And so it really is kind of brilliant. <laughs> like if we're being honest, it's like, yeah, a bold choice. And I think it kind of works. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and there's this really funny scene in in the documentary of of Miyazaki just absolutely frustrated of, of all the actors that are <laughs> that are auditioning for the role. He's he's saying, "Oh, I hate them. They're they're just so bad. They they're all." Come into this and and they overact it and and I'm so annoyed with it. Maybe we should just get non actor and then somebody suggests Anno <laughs> and it, it goes from there. It's so cool.
2: If 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 I weren't mm-hmm. seeing it like recorded as just like part of a regular conversation, I never would have believed that that was how they they settled it. <laughs> right? It's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Because mm-hmm. so you see, you all... see Miyazaki in the documentary is like, he's like, hmm. You, he, you see him come with up with the he, idea. He's <laughs> yeah. working it through. The cogs are turning, and it's like yeah yeah let's go with let's call him
0: (laughs) (laughs) you think he would do it and then he's like i can't say no to yeah exactly yeah it's and
1: uh just in case people don't know ano's actually worked on ghibli films before he is um a nausicaa he's he was the creature designer i believe and then another animator and if you watch nausicaa and then you watch evangelion you look at those monsters you're like yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Right? <laughs> uh,
2: on the topic of the voice acting, though, because we, you know, incredible, we, we did watch the the dubs as well. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays uh, Horikoshi in the dub, and I was really like pleased with his voice performance. One of, one thing that I've I've talked about before in a lot of animation is the tendency for live action actors to deliver uh, too monotone performance mm-hmm. uh but for this character that's what they wanted <laughs> so joseph gordon levitt yeah. <laughs> delivers a very you know monotone uh, almost nerdy sort of performance uh mm-hmm. that still carries his passion but you can tell that horikoshi at least in the dub uh it, it comes across to me that uh he's very passionate but he doesn't want to show how passionate he is uh he's yeah. reserved and that comes across really well in joseph gordon levitt's uh Performance mm-hmm. and on the, we we mentioned John Krasinski as well. His character is the more outgoing, and uh, John Krasinski carries that very well uh, in in his voice as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And then Werner Herzog sings a song on the piano. Yes, Hates <laughs> <laughs> <Face> the movie. <laughs> I, I actually really that love up. that I kind of that section of the film. I was like, ah, I, yeah, I too want to stay at a Japanese hotel in the countryside. <laughs> yeah, and
2: throw have and not a care north. in the world. Just yeah. Just making yeah. paper airplanes and playing the piano with Werner Herzog. <laughs> Everyone, like, hangs out. I, I miss people. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Um,
0: um, and also, w- during that hotel sequence, whenever they're outside uh, and and she's in the field painting, a lot of imagery is reminds you. First of all, it's absolutely beautiful. But it reminds mm-hmm. you of specific, of specific impressionist art. From France, I don't know if you're familiar with with Monet, but if you look at some of those paintings, mm-hmm. there's yeah, one specifically of a woman in a white dress, uh, in in like on top of a hill holding a white umbrella, and it it's basically the poster to this. That's the film. poster it, for the it, movie. It, yeah. I'll go ahead and put that back on the yeah. screen so that people
2: will mm-hmm. see what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it,
0: yeah. the art, the art just yeah. throughout is is stunning. I, don't, I think That's... we we can't even I don't know give it enough credit for how beautiful it is.
1: Yeah, it's it's just like the perfect shades of blue and the perfect shades of green and we talked a lot about how this movie is kind of like a little more grounded but like it's just so beautiful in those scenes. And it st- st- starkly contrasts the the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah. Cuz the the scenes it uh, w- inside the city, like for example when the secret police are looking for him and they're in the car, they're pretty grim, they're pretty gray and brown and drab mm. and but they give you that a feeling of, of a country that is about to go to war and where the secret police are seeking people out
2: it's one of those examples of an animated movie emulating the lighting that you would see in a live action movie uh and you know it, to generate mm-hmm. that symbolism and you know it's a, a sign of a, an expert that they take that into consideration
0: <laughs> <laughs> And at, and at the same yeah. time they're really able to to still make this an animated magical movie because i think one of my favorite scenes that sticks with me in terms of just the beauty of the animation is when they're in Germany and he falls asleep and he starts dreaming and then he's in the dream talking to Caproni on top of the plane and then Mm -hmm. and then the scene without a cut the scene transitions like the camera goes from him standing on the plane to down and looking down you're back in Japan and Mm. that's reality Mm -hmm. he's outside of the dream and that's the scene transition I I think that stuff is mind-blowing
1: yeah, and there's one too where they do like an animated like uh, Spielberg like zoom pan or whatever he calls it, and he like wakes up, and I was like, "Oh, you're a tricky, tricky guy, there, you, Mr. Miyazaki." <laughs> yeah,
0: they're doing a whole bunch of interesting things with 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 cam mm-hmm. with you know simulated camera movement and, and scene transitions and stuff like that. So, yeah. and
2: it was really fascinating scene in the in the uh, uh, the documentary uh, in on his storyboards, he indicates how he wants the camera to work in those scenes on his storyboards, which mm-hmm. just, the, how can you visualize that? You're you're looking at a still picture, and you're like, okay, but this is how it's going to look when we transition. I, I, I'm so mm-hmm. jealous of having that sort of eye.
0: <laughs> I think you also see him in the documentary just sort of closing his eyes and, and moving his hands around, I, like figuring out where the plane is going to move compared to... It, it,
2: which I was thinking about that when I was watching the documentary and you see him moving his hands around like that. That is also how I think that they decided to do the sound effects the way they did. Because it's like, (laughs) I just picture Haio Miyazaki playing with toy planes. (laughs) And then they're just like, okay, but now make those sounds, but make them better. (laughs) Good stuff, good stuff.
0: So, okay, Um, again, the more personal side of the story uh, I think really got me. I yeah. I love it's his so relationship tragic. with Naoko. Uh, both in terms of the tragedy and just um, mm-hmm. the fact that the way that they fall in love. I think it's really it's, it's all very sweet. It it mm-hmm. fits into the time of when the movie was you know when the movie is set, but it feels uh, modern. Like he's never he's always quite even with it, with, it, with in the, his relationship relationship with his sister. He's like, oh, you want to be a doctor? You can be a doctor. You can do whatever you want. And this was. Japan in the 40s so it's probably not very realistic but you can see you know Miyazaki's thoughts shining through there.
1: I have have a note too Um, in in the documentary he talks about um, shooting or not shooting uh, storyboarding the, the the train scene where they meet and he's getting really like frustrated and he's having a hard time like deciding what he wants and then he says this is the first time he has depicted a adult relationship on screen, and he said something really. He says he's never loved anyone like that, so he doesn't know how to depict it on screen. And I was like, "You have a wife and child. That's kind of sad, <laughs> like for them, but also for you. That's kind of sad.
2: It's very, very interesting." But also, when you see the way Goro talks about everything, it's like, "Oh, I can kind of see that he didn't. He wasn't necessarily feeling the love." <laughs> yeah it's like i was like oh so many people are gonna see you and you said that
1: um but like in in the sense of as this film it's it's very interesting to consider like how he decides to depict it as just like hey let's just let's just stay together and that's kind of the most romantic thing that he can come up with which is pretty romantic too in my opinion
2: yeah and it and it, it it feels like hugo said feels real that you know I I I thought it was very well executed on-screen romance. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I agree.
0: The fact that so much of it is without dialogue and it's just them like walking, seeing each other in the field and throwing planes at each other and, you know, it, it it's quite it's quite sweet. It really got me. And, well, and, and I especially was if, so, he, if he, feels so like he sad when, if feels like he if he if, if he
2: doesn't know that experience himself, like he he doesn't really he doesn't he says he's never loved someone like that, doing those scenes where they're not actually having to talk means that he doesn't have to come up yeah. with an actual <laughs> you know, substantive dialogue I think
0: Miyazaki strikes me as somebody who has a genuine love for humanity in general um, but has a hard time detaching himself from like the big uh, idealistic visions and ideas that he has and and just having normal interpersonal relationships I think that's where difficulty comes from for him yeah
1: which is like textbook big creative
0: yeah it really is mm-hmm. it for really better is. Or for
1: worse for yeah better, i think worse. my my favorite scene between the two of them um is like a kind of sad one but a really sweet one where he comes back from work late and she's laying in bed and he's like oh i've got to get some work done and then he like scoots his table over and they like hold bit, yeah. hands while he's working it's like so sweet but like You just know that she's like either gonna die or Mm -hmm. like something bad's gonna happen, but it's kind of like a reprieve for a moment. But like he can't quite pull himself away from the work still. Like she's laying right there, like give a little do something, stop. But he can't,
2: Mm.
0: yeah. Um, yeah, I think the relationship in general is lovely. I think even the fact that they portray her as somebody who has so much, um, I wouldn't say I don't want to say pride but um ha, has a strength to her in 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 being able to be this vulnerable and accepting it and and just being part of his life anyway um mm-hmm. and the fact that she decides at the end to to leave cuz cuz she knows when the end is coming and, and I don't know I thought it was absolutely beautiful and and tragic and I was boiling my eyes out while I was watching it um and the ending the ending itself, I think, yeah. is is one of the better endings for because I, I think one of the criticisms that sometimes uh, Mizuki films receive is that the endings feel a bit abrupt. Yes, uh, I, want, I did want to talk of, yeah. about that. Um, <laughs> and I think this one in particular is is so great because it's it's really sad and tragic. And at the same time, it's beautiful and life-affirming, uh, which I think is kind of my vibe with, with, with movies. So I it mm-hmm. absolutely
2: got me. I think that's why this is my favorite Miyazaki movie is because he finally nails an ending for me. That's my biggest complaint in all the other movies he's directed is that you have climax and yeah. then credits it's it's there's no you know time for resolution
1: and then there's like a like a credit scene where they're like running around in a field yeah. or something you're like why did just purpose of the movie i yeah, just
2: include it. just include it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's hmm. you know I, I obviously i love the movies anyways uh, despite their abrupt endings but that's why none of i i've never given a studio ghibli movie uh, a, a perfect 10 because all of these endings just end and uh, mm-hmm. uh the wind rises finally actually nails the ending for me. Uh it I some of the, the other movies probably could have been higher rated for me if they had just had a, a little bit of time at the end to actually resolve how you're feeling about things.
1: Yeah. I, I like I like the abrupt endings in in these movies personally. So but I completely it, yeah. understand the criticism. <laughs> it, it, it's it, annoying it depends.
0: What? It depends. Like I think sometimes it works brilliantly and sometimes it mm-hmm. works a little less, but overall yeah. Uh, yeah again go ahead yeah
1: uh i was just gonna say whatever i talked to dj about miyazaki movies he's like it just ended and i was like that's the point you should yeah. love it <laughs> I, 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 I have to accept that not everyone feels yeah, it the sounds same like way. i agree
2: with dj that like, like, yeah and and mm-hmm. hugo's right sometimes it does work better than in others uh the, mo- the one that's mm-hmm. most egregious to me is porco Rosso. uh just very much it's like <laughs> it's over scene we're done <laughs> get out of here <laughs> So, uh, (laughs) what did we want to wrap up with? Literally get out of here in that movie.
0: Okay, so, yeah, I think we've discussed uh, most of what we can about this film. Um, I mean, we could go on forever going into the nitty-gritty of little Mm. details, but I think we got uh, all the main themes and and ideas out and opinions. Um, I don't know if you guys have any um, final thoughts, um, but... Yeah, for me, the, the final thought is, mm-hmm. is that ending is very powerful and, and life-affirming and beautiful. And I, yeah, it it really, really got me. And one thing that we haven't mentioned, the music. Um,
1: that, oh, it's really that good. It's on Spotify. That, I was so yeah, happy this morning when I found it.
0: That music cue is, that that is repeated throughout the movie with different instruments, different, you know, sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower, but it heartbreaking from beginning to end and, and absolutely stunning mm-hmm. can i ask a
2: question before we wrap up mm-hmm. yes of uh, this is more a general question what do you guys think after Hayao Miyazaki's actual last movie you know whenever that may be what do you guys think about the future for studio ghibli hmm.
0: it it's mm-hmm. tough because i think in after because in 2013 both this and the tale of the princess kaguya came out and uh, both... I think Takata has retired definitively. Yeah. and
1: He, he, he also passed away uh, in the following yeah. years. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, but, I mean, at the time he had retired... They both oh, had retired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I meant. Mm-hmm. At the time they yes. both had retired. And I think Studio Ghibli shut down everything for, for a year or something. Like they didn't really work on something. They had, mm-hmm. I think, when Marnie was there, was already in production and then they released that. But the actual production of movies after the two founders had retired stopped for a year or something. And then Miyazaki came back and, and he started production of the next film. And so, you know, the studio sort of reopened and started working again. But it kind of sets a, pre- a precedent for that studio having such a distinct uh, creative force behind it, which were Takahata, uh, Miyazaki and uh, uh, Suzuki, the producer, um, and I wonder if if they can sustain the kind of level of excellence and reverence that people have for it. Yeah. Going so forward.
2: I loved when Marnie was there. I thought it was absolutely I fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so I, I but I've heard it's that. brilliant. Yeah. But I I actually did not like Earwig and the Witch. You know, and and it's not just the animation. There were other problems with that movie because you know they they did move to the the 3D computer generated you know animation for that one and yeah i didn't love that but that wasn't the reason i didn't like this movie so yeah. <laughs> so i'm i'm yeah legitimately a little bit concerned i'm i have some hope for the future of studio ghibli just because they you know it's not it wasn't just miyazaki and uh oh my god uh, uh takahata uh, yeah. it wasn't mm-hmm. just them making movies there are they did have other directors and that did make some excellent movies so i i have a little hope I, I hope that Goro will go back and do uh, more like From Up on Poppy Hill than Earwig and the Witch. They, they need to go back in that direction.
0: <laughs> and But mm-hmm. I also think, you know, a, a lot of famous, uh, or at least, you know, well regarded uh, Japanese uh, anime directors have passed through Studio Ghibli, right? Like, they worked there mm-hmm. uh, for a bit and then. They kind of moved on to do their own thing with another production company so i don't know um there's also part of me that thinks that it it would be kind of fitting if if after takata and miyazaki were gone that sudo ghibli would kind of end and its legacy was forever that uh, that uh, the one that they left with left it with and it's kind of you know sometimes things can end um, I know okay last culture, jedi i know yeah i know modern culture nothing ends ever but it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: i don't know there's there's also that aspect like I, I won't i'll be happy if they can figure out a way to continue and make beautiful movies as they have been doing doing for what 50 I mean, years yeah because it's selfishness mm-hmm. is, is what but, makes
2: me want them to continue because i love but their movies they, so much. Yeah.
0: but if they have to continue just because you have to uh Bring the brand forward, and you can't let it go. Then I'd rather they just just Agreed. shut down. Honestly,
1: I, yeah, I I think for, for me, um, Ghibli is in kind of a best case scenario position where the brand can kind of sustain itself at this point. Studio Ghibli, like people want it. People want to go to their museums and stuff like that. Um, and I think it could be a really great avenue for like new talent to kind of cycle through and kind of be given the resources to make what they want to make um, and kind of work that way. Um, I I kind of wish maybe Goro was a little more consistent as a director because I really like him as, like, a figure. I think he's very interesting. Um, but And it's kind of a shame because, like, some Ghibli, like, um, the director of Whisper of the Heart, who, like I said before, is a beautiful film. He, like, died, like, a year after that movie came out, and he was supposed to be the next, quote-unquote, Miyazaki of that studio, yeah. They've kind of come into some harsh luck that way. Um, But I think the studio is able to continue, and I think especially now they could, and in my opinion should, be like a place for new
2: talent to showcase themselves. And I think that would be the best way to, you know, come up with, you know, to maintain their uh, brand going forward Mm -hmm. because, you know, they can't rely on the same person over and over again anymore. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think if yeah. if they're going to continue,
0: I agree with Jackson, they need to not be not try to copy Miyazaki and Takahata. I think they yeah. they have to do something new, which I think is what Miyazaki and Takahata would want cuz, you know, they they came up and they create founded this studio because they wanted to make the movies that they wanted to make. And I think a new creative voice within that studio would be more consistent with with the legacy of it than if somebody came in and started to do movies that were kind of similar uh, to that style. Yeah,
1: and I think Earwig and the Witch is like a step in the right direction uh, aside from the movie just, I haven't seen it yet, but general contestants is that it's not very good. I think the idea of you can just kind of do whatever um, Mm -hmm. works and maybe that only works for Goro Miyazaki because of his last name, uh, but (laughs) uh, I think, that uh that should be kind of what they do going forward in my opinion
2: well cool okay we we need to rank this movie
0: yeah okay so what we do on remember the film is all our films to remember are ranked in one individual stupid absolutely ridiculous list uh that me and grizz really enjoy and josh is kind of annoyed with i Um, I am
1: familiar with stupid lists don't worry yes
0: (laughs) Uh, oh we know we know (laughs) you and your quest um yeah uh so uh we will rank this movie on our list and i'll I'll read out the list for you jackson but you also have it on the outline i'll read it out for the audience i'm looking Um,
1: at it as well
0: so the list i'm gonna go from 10 up because i imagine this is going to be quite high so at number 10 we have mank at number nine we have another round or Drook, correct pronunciation thank you islam um at number eight rudy uh at number seven we have my black bottom at number six uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Number five, The Departed. Number four, Your Name. Our other anime movie that we loved. Uh, number three, The Thing. Number two, Boogie Nights. And number one, we have Citizen Kane. Okay. It's a good so, list. Um I'm gonna make maybe uh, the a strong statement, but out of these, The Wind Rises would be number one for me. Okay. To be completely honest. I will be. I
2: will be the voice of Josh on on this. That's fine. <laughs> Because while if the question is which movie do I want to watch again the most or which one would I recommend to the most people, it probably would be The Wind Rises, but Josh will straight up quit this podcast if <laughs> if we put The Wind Rises above Citizen Kane. <laughs> and I think Boogie Nights as well. That would be. I mean, pretty, he, I yeah. mean, he might he, he might be mad about putting it past Boogie Nights, but yeah. But Citizen Kane is you know, <laughs> it's the movie, you know. So, <laughs> That's fair, so well, uh, so. Where would you put it? I, I I like your name better, and I actually I, I like The Departed better as well. Uh, but uh, so I would probably I would probably put it honestly. I, I actually I'd, I'd even put it below It's a Wonderful Life personally. Wow, really? Yeah, but I mean, all these movies I I love all those movies. <laughs> so it's like... fair, fair, okay, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Like so you that's would put it that's at number that's the line for me is w-
2: from "It's a Wonderful Life" down on our list is like okay, fine. I'm not I'm not mad about about other movies passing it. So you're <laughs> gonna put it at number seven for you. That's where I would put or, it personally. Okay.
0: What about you, Jackson? Well, for me, I haven't seen all of these movies, so oh, it makes putting it on a list a little difficult. Um, okay. Yeah. Just give us some some of your feelings, and and we'll interpret.
1: Ah, uh, this is tough. Um, <laughs> really putting see, you on uh, the spot here. Uh, this isn't my list. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, this, isn't uh, I mean, I list, this, this isn't anyone's list. I this isn't anyone's list because <laughs> if you know me,
0: if you know me, you know you know Jackie Brown would yeah. not be that low. Um, but yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think. Um, I think around It's a Wonderful Life is an appropriate place to put this movie based on the list. Um, okay. Uh, taking things into consideration.
0: Okay, I think that's fair. So I think I would be outvoted uh, for putting well, it so... higher than The Departed Your Name, "Thing," The Thing, Boogie Nights, or Citizen Kane. So I guess we have to decide whether it's above or below Wonderful Life. For me, it's obviously, obviously I would put it above.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would put it immediately below It's a Wonderful Life.
0: Jackson, so I guess you're the deciding (laughs) vote on this. Okay. Um, Um, You know, It's a Wonderful Life, the movie where the good capitalist uh, saves you from the bad capitalist?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm familiar with that movie. I really love it. (laughs) The movie about the engineer who makes warplanes that kill people compared to that. (laughs) Um... Let's put it above. Let's put you it above. Okay, it's wonderful, yeah. Hugo wins. Hugo yeah. wins. It's above its order. I win. Uh, <laughs> I'm not mad about that. I, I do love this we movie. It. It, you know, like I said, it's mm-hmm. my favorite Hayao Miyazaki film, and he's one of my all-time favorite directors. So I'm not going to be mad about that being where it is on the list. And I think Josh will tolerate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll be fine He'll be... I think he would really like this movie. Bob. I think he would love the movie.
0: Yeah. I don't have any doubt about that. Judging, yeah, <laughs> considering his his usual taste, I think he would really, really enjoy this. Okay, so uh, we did it. Uh, we we mm-hmm. talked about talked about Miyazaki. We talked about The Wind Rises really in depth. Um, and I guess that's the end of our episode. Um, thank you for listening so far. Uh, and you know, follow us on on Twitter at rtfpod rtf underscore pod. Right? Correct. Getting that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I get confused with punctuation because in my head I say it in Italian and I have to translate it in English and I really <laughs> get really confused um, yeah, whatever um, next week uh, our episode will be back on the normal schedule so we, as we said before we, we will be doing uh, an episode about Denis Villeneuve and the film to remember for next week will be en or in- Incendies Incendies or whatever you call if it, you're a dumb American
1: interesting choice
0: <laughs> yeah um, we yeah we try when, whenever we talk about a director we we try to pick uh, a movie that isn't one of his most uh, well known mm-hmm. or the one that people have seen the most so we wouldn't I'm pretty pick sure Incendies or, or Incendies is technically a Canadian production
1: so it, oh, it is there you go oh look at uh-huh. that
0: <laughs> <laughs> nailed it um, Jackson where can people find you and listen to your podcast
1: yeah you can check out cantina conversations um it's anywhere uh you want to listen slash watch something uh we're on youtube and then podcasts right now we're doing a watch through of like clone wars episodes about clones leading Mm -hmm. up to uh the release of the bad batch which if you don't know what any of that is then might not be the podcast for you but if you do then uh it could be one to check out um, (laughs) it's a star wars podcast (laughs) yeah so if you don't like star wars uh i understand maybe not checking it out oh also Uh, i forgot to
0: do this but what do you what did you think about our star wars thoughts i'm gonna put you on the spot they were okay
1: uh i think (laughs) i think okay here's i'll give one hot take i think jeff has rogue one too high and i think hugo has it too low fair
2: enough (laughs) you agree with josh yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah Um there there are some takes there. Uh, also, Jeff's ranking of the sequels is neither here nor
2: there. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you guys have already roasted me enough for my uh my take on Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. But I yeah. stand uh, by it. you can also <laughs> that's fair. You can also find us at
1: Cantina Convo on Twitter. I try to do fun engagements, but then sometimes I get too busy um and I don't. Uh yeah. and then personally, <laughs> I'm at Jackson W Wells um but you
2: It's, it's yeah, right there. You have it on yeah, screen. below. <laughs> And all right, if, everyone. Um, if I can add just one little shout out because Jackson's going to yeah, be humble, uh, Cantina Conversations is fantastic. It is If you're a Star Wars fan, I, I really do highly recommend it. They got great content about the movies, the shows, books, make, making up your own Muppet Star Wars. There's all sorts <laughs> of great stuff. If you're a Star Wars fan at all, highly recommend Cantina Conversations.
0: Yeah, and and same for me. I listen to two Star Wars podcasts. Uh, one is Force Center, and the other one is container Conversations. Um, yeah, and if you like if you like the Last Jedi as much as me, they have an episode that is three hours long about the Last Jedi. So, <laughs> there you go. knock yourself out. Um, all right, yeah. yeah. Everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, please leave a, uh, subscribe, leave us a like. Uh, tell us what you thought about uh, our thoughts on Miyazaki and the Wind Rises, and we'll see you next week with Denis Villeneuve. Bye, everyone.